Today's subject's entitled King Nebuchadnezzar's Dream. And it's one of those subjects when you study it that all, almost all of Christianity agrees on. Now that can be rather rare, but here we have a prophecy, and it is a prophecy that almost any Protestant church you go to will understand it and preach it and teach it as you're about to hear. So let's bow our heads, ask the Lord to be with us, and then we'll begin this exciting study this morning. God in the heavens, great Father, King of all, we come before you this morning. We pray for a blessing. We ask that your Holy Spirit will be here, that he will teach us and that he will draw us to Jesus. Thank you for hearing this prayer now, I pray in your name. Amen. Daniel chapter 2. It is here that we will find this story and it is here that we will take our study today. And we're going to begin in verse 1. Daniel chapter 2 verse 1. The Bible reads, In the second year of his reign, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. His mind was troubled and he could not sleep. Those of you who don't know the context of this story, let me share it with you for a few moments. This story occurred somewhere around 603 years B.C., so if you work the mathematics out quickly in your mind, it happened about 2,600 years ago. Nebuchadnezzar, who is the main character in this story, was a young man. In fact, he was a young, powerful king, arguably at the time of this story, the most powerful king in all the world. Let me give you some more information this morning about Nebuchadnezzar. His father was a man by the name of Nabopolassar. Now, Nebuchadnezzar in history was the first real powerful Neo-Babylonian king. He was a warrior. He was a conqueror. And he built Babylon up to be one of the most powerful, famous nations, empires in all the earth at that time. He defeated the Egyptians. The Egyptians before the Neo-Babylonians were the power of the world. Well, it was Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar's father, who defeated the Egyptians in a pitched battle in 605 BC called the Battle of Carchemish. And until that day, the Battle of Carchemish was probably the biggest battle ever fought in history. The young prince Nebuchadnezzar was there. He was leading his father's troops. He was at the forefront of the battle. He was already a warrior prince who was about to become a warrior king. After the battle of Carchemish, we don't know exactly what happened, but his father, Nebuchadnezzar's father, Nabopolassar, got sick. He retired back to Babylon. Nebuchadnezzar then took the army, perhaps for the first time by himself. Nebuchadnezzar then takes the army and they lay siege to Jerusalem. While they're laying siege to Jerusalem, back in Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar's father, Nabopolassar, dies. And hearing of his death, Nebuchadnezzar immediately leaves the siege at Israel. He rushes back to Babylon. He puts to death all the usurpers to his throne, probably his brothers. He put them to death. He established himself as king on the throne. Meanwhile, Jerusalem had fallen. Nebuchadnezzar is now probably the most powerful king in all the world. Nebuchadnezzar was a young man. And he had probably been on the throne for only two years as this story we're about to look at unfolds. Let's have a look at the, the beginnings of this very interesting, uh, wonderful story in Scripture. Daniel chapter 2 verse 1. In the second year of his reign, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. 
His mind was troubled and he could not sleep. So the king summoned the magicians, the enchanters, the sorcerers and the astrologers to tell him what he had dreamed. When they came in and stood before the king, he said to them, I have had a dream that troubles me and I want to know what it means. Verse 4. Then the astrologers answered the king in Aramaic, O king, live forever. Tell your servants a dream and we will interpret it. Verse 5. The king replied to the astrologers, This is what I have firmly decided. If you do not tell me what my dream was and interpret it, I will have you cut into pieces and your houses turned into piles of rubble. These wise men, these enchanters, these astrologers, these demon-worshipping priests, they could not tell the king what his dream was and they could not interpret it. We go down a few verses to verse 12. The king, as he listens to these men with their feeble excuses, the king, the Bible says, became so angry and furious that he ordered the execution of all the wise men of Babylon. Now in verse 14, we pick up the story, another character comes into the, into the plot. Verse 14, and it's a fast-moving story. When Arioch, who was the commander of the king's guard, had gone out to put to death the wise men of Babylon, Daniel spoke to him with wisdom and tact. Who is this Daniel? Who is this Daniel that now comes into the picture, into this story? Well, Daniel was an Israelite prince. He had been captured by Nebuchadnezzar when Jerusalem fell, possibly taken as a hostage, probably as a slave. He, he, now Nebuchadnezzar was a very forward thinking king and he had taken Daniel and he had trained him in the Babylonian university and he had become one of these kings uh, he had become one of the king's wise men. He too was to be put to death, but there was something different about Daniel because Daniel did not serve the demon gods of Babylon. Daniel came from Israel and Daniel served the high God of heaven. And, and, and we pick up the story again in verse 14. The Bible says, When Arioch, the commander of the king's guard, had gone out to put to death all the wise men of Babylon, Daniel spoke to him with wisdom and tact. Now look what Daniel says, verse 15. He asked the king's officer, Why did the king issue such a harsh decree? Arioch then explained the matter to Daniel. At this, Daniel went into the king and asked for time so that he might interpret the dream. Verse 17. Then Daniel returned to his house and explained the matter to his friends, Hananiah, Mishael and Azariah. He urged them to plead for mercy from the God of heaven concerning the mystery so that he and his friends might not be executed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. During the night, the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision from God. Then Daniel praised the God of heaven. This is very interesting. Here the king has a dream. He can't remember it. Not only can he not remember it, but he wants to know what the dream means. It's troubling him. He calls in all his demon priests. They cannot tell the king what the dream is or what the dream means. Then he begins to execute them. When, it, when, when Arioch, the captain of the king's guard, comes to Daniel, Daniel said, let me see the king. He goes before the king. He says, please, king, give me more time. He gets more time. He goes home to his house with his three friends. They get on their knees and pray. And God tells Daniel the dream and he gives him the interpretation of the vision. A stunning God that Daniel serves. A stunning God that we serve today. Let's pick the story up and we need to keep it moving this morning. In verse 24. 
Then Daniel went to Arioch. Remember, he's a captain of the king's guard who is in charge of executing all these wise men. Verse 24, then Daniel went to Arioch, whom the king had appointed to execute the wise men of Babylon. And he said to him, do not execute the wise men of Babylon. Take me to the king and I'll interpret his dream for him. Arioch took Daniel to the king at once and said, I have found a man among the exiles from Judah who can tell the dream and he can interpret it. Arioch claims credit for finding Daniel. But what does Daniel do? I find this very interesting. Verse 26, the king said to Daniel, are you able to tell me what I saw in my dream and interpret it? Wouldn't it have been fantastic to be Daniel, to have had that dream given to him by God, to stand before the king and know the interpretation of it. What a wonderful feeling to be such a servant of God in such a time as that was. Verse 27 gives you a glimpse, a window picture of what sort of man Daniel was because the Bible says Daniel replied, No wise man, enchanter, magician or diviner can explain to the king the mystery he has asked about. Daniel is giving credit where credit is due. Verse 28, but there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. He has shown King Nebuchadnezzar what will happen in days to come. Your dream and the visions that pass through your head as you lay down on your bed are these. Wow. What a God, what a man was Daniel, and what a wonderful story. You can imagine Nebuchadnezzar's interest as he realized that before him was a young Hebrew slave who had a a direct connection to the high God of heaven. Let's keep moving this morning. Verse 31, here's what you dreamed, O king. You looked, O king. And there before you stood a large statue. Yes, yes, says the king. That is what I saw. An enormous, dazzling statue, awesome in appearance. The head of the statue was made of pure gold, its chest and arms of silver, its belly and thighs of bronze, the legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of baked clay. Yes, yes, says Nebuchadnezzar. That is what I saw. While you were watching, a rock was cut out, but not by human hands. It struck the statue on its feet of iron and clay and smashed them. Verse 35. The iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver and the gold were broken to pieces at the same time and became like chaff on a threshing floor in the summer. The wind swept them away without leaving a trace, but the rock that struck the statue became a huge mountain and it filled the earth. This was the dream. And Nebuchadnezzar says, yes, 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 Daniel, you are right. What a thrill. What a privilege this must have been for Daniel to share this message. One young man, a Hebrew slave, to one young man, the greatest king in the world. What a privilege to bring this message from God to the heart and to the mind of this heathen, pagan God. Let's get into the interpretation of this dream because it comes right down to our day. This is one of the most amazing dreams one of the most amazing prophecies in all the Bible. And the wonderful thing about it is one of the most easy prophecies of all the prophecies in Scripture to understand. Let's look at the interpretation of this dream. Verse 37, 
Daniel looks the king in the eye. Here's the interpretation, O king. You, O king, are the king of kings. The God of heaven has given you dominion and power and might and glory. In your hands, verse 39, he has placed mankind and the beasts of the field and the birds of the air. Wherever they live, he has made you ruler over them all. You are the head of gold. Oh, Nebuchadnezzar's chest must have pumped out. His shoulders must have gone back. I'm the head of gold. I'm liking this dream, Daniel. And what a kingdom Nebuchadnezzar was king of. It was called the golden kingdom. Perhaps more gold in that kingdom than any kingdom that has come since. The kingdom of Babylon, which Nebuchadnezzar was the mighty great king of, ruled the earth from 605 BC. Look at these dates. From 605 BC to 538 BC. Less than 100 years. It was called the Golden Kingdom. It was Babylon in modern day Iraq, just south of Baghdad. It's an ancient culture, the Iraqi culture, an ancient rich culture. It was Babylon that was responsible for bringing to us universities and running water and sewage systems. They were very advanced culture. In fact, if you were to go back to Babylon today, knowing what you know about the modern culture we live in, even you would be fascinated by this magnificent city that, that spread across the plains of, of, of Iraq two and a half thousand years ago. The walls of Babylon were so big that you could race three chariots side by side around them and they would do it. We know a little bit more about Babylon, the Ishtar Gate, which is in the Pergamon Museum. I remember seeing that Ishtar Gate when I was over there at that museum in Berlin. And I remember looking at this blue gate and thinking, Daniel walked under that gate and I couldn't help myself. I kind of hopped across the rope and I did walk under that gate just so I could say that I walked under the same gate Daniel did. Uh, I, I could have got into big trouble for that too. But there it is in the Pergamon Museum in Berlin, this beautiful Ishtar Gate, the hanging gardens of Babylon that King Nebuchadnezzar built for his beautiful wife to remind her of home. Yes, Babylon was the kingdom of gold. But like all kingdoms, Babylon came and went. Daniel chapter 2, verse 39. I'm not sure how Nebuchadnezzar thought of this. Daniel 2, verse 39. Daniel says as he looks up at the king, After you another kingdom will rise inferior to yours. Arms and chests of silver representative of this kingdom in this vision, in this prophecy. The first kingdom, Babylon, was represented by the head of gold. The second kingdom, Medo-Persia, is represented by the arms and chest of silver. Let me tell you something, that all that God is doing here is giving Nebuchadnezzar and interpreting through Daniel a vision of the future of the world. First there was Babylon, then there was Medo-Persia. Under the great Medo-Persian king, Cyrus, you know, if I had lived at any other time in history other than the time we live now, I would have liked to have, have served under Cyrus, who was a benevolent king, came out of modern-day Iran. Isn't it interesting? These Middle Eastern countries have such rich, such deep and, and beautiful history, and it's all here in the Bible. It was Cyrus, the great king, who overthrew Belshazzar, the grandson of Nebuchadnezzar, overthrew him and took his city of Babylon. But verse 39 says it doesn't stop here because there's next a third kingdom. One of bronze will rule over the whole earth. So you have the head of gold, Babylon, the chest and arms of silver, Medo-Persia, 
Now you have the thighs of bronze. Who was this? Well, I want to tell you that in 331 BC, Alexander the Great, at somewhere around 20 years of age, who had marched his Greek army across into Persia, took on the Persian king. Alexander had an army of somewhere between 30 and 40,000 men. There are a million men in the Medo-Persian king Darius's army. Do you know that by the end of the day, Alexander the Great had defeated Alexander the Greek, this great king, perhaps the greatest warrior to ever walk on the face of the earth, had defeated the Medo-Persian king. And Greece, which was represented in this prophecy by the thighs of bronze, had become the ruler of the world. But this is not the end of the vision. Because in Daniel chapter 2 verse 40, the Bible says, and, and Daniel interprets for the king, finally there will be a fourth kingdom, strong as iron, for iron breaks and smashes everything. And as iron breaks and smashes things to pieces, so this kingdom will crush all others. This last kingdom, represented by the legs of iron, is the kingdom of Rome. Now look what's happening. You have the head of gold, that's Babylon, went from 605 BC to 538 BC. Then you have the Medo-Persian Empire. It went longer. It went from 538 BC to 331 BC, over 200 years. And then you have the Greeks, represented by the thighs of bronze. They went from 331 BC to 168 BC. And then you have the Romans, the mighty Roman Empire, the kingdom of steel. And they went from 168 BC to somewhere around 538, the greatest empire the world has ever seen, legions of steel. And you can go to Europe like I have, and you can still see all over Europe the remains of the mighty Roman Empire. There are today roads in Europe that the Romans built that are still being used. There are aqueducts that the Romans built that carry water that are still being used to bring water to towns in Europe today. I've been to England, Hadrian's Wall, going from one side of the north of England to the other. Amazing feats, amazing nation, the most powerful nation the world has ever seen to this day. But this study comes to a close, and it's amazing what God unpacks for that ancient king through that ancient prophecy, and it comes right through to us today. Verse 41, just as you saw that the feet and toes were partly of baked clay and partly of iron, so this will be a divided kingdom. This is after Rome. Yet it will have some of the strength of the iron in it, even as you saw iron mixed with clay, verse 43. And just as you saw the iron mixed with baked clay, so the people will be a mixture and will not remain united any more than iron can mix with clay. Iron does not mix with clay. Post 538 AD, post the end of the Roman Empire, what happens? Well, you see Europe splitting up into what we now know as the modern-day nations of Europe. And some of these nations were strong, and some of these nations were weak. And do you know that for almost 1,500 years they've been trying to unite Europe, and just like the Bible said, they never can. Charlemagne, Napoleon, Hitler, all tried to unite Europe unsuccessfully. They're still trying to do it today. Guess what the Bible says here? It will never happen. Because you have strong and you have weak. And the Bible says, just as the iron does not mix with the clay, so the people of modern day Europe will never unite, they will never mix, they will never be together. That's what the Bible says. Amazing prophecy. 
But the Bible says in those days, these are the days we live in. This is what the Bible says, verse 44 and 45. In the time of those kings, that's the day we live in today, of mixed Europe, of weak and strong, of a Europe that will never mix. In those days, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed, nor will it be left to another people. It will crush all those kingdoms and bring them to an end, but itself will endure forever. This is the meaning of the vision of the rock cut out of the mountain, not by human hands, a rock that broke the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold to pieces. God is telling Nebuchadnezzar, through Daniel the prophet, God is telling you that at the end of this vision, when the nations are strong and weak, when they are mixed as they are today, he said, I will come. He said, I will finish this. And I will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed. Do you want to be a part of that kingdom? If your answer is yes, it's as simple as getting on your knees and saying, great God of the heavens who unlocked the mystery of that dream to Nebuchadnezzar, come into my heart, forgive me for my sins. I choose you to be the saviour of my life. If that is your decision today, if if that is what you want, then God invites you into his kingdom that will never end. All these kingdoms, Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, Rome, the mixed nations of Europe, all these kingdoms come to an end, but God's kingdom will go forever. Is it your desire to be in his everlasting kingdom? I hope and I pray so. Let's talk to the Lord. Lord, thank you for this Bible study. Thank you that you can unlock the past and the future. Help us, God, to put our trust in you, a God who knows everything. Come into our hearts. Save us this morning, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Far away in the depths of my spirit tonight Flows a melody sweeter than song In celestial-like strains it unceasingly falls O'er my soul like an infinite calm Coming down from the Father above Sweep over my spirit forever, I pray In fathomless billows of love What a treasure I have in this wonderful peace Buried deep in my innermost soul So secure that no power can mine it away While the years of eternity roll Weary soul without gladness or comfort or rest Passing down through the pathway of time Make the Savior your friend Ere the shadows grow dark Oh, accept of this peace so sublime Peace, peace, wonderful peace Coming down 